Verse 11, Luke 17, starting with verse 11. If you have a Bible like mine, it's on page 741. Now on Jesus' way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, Lord, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he shouted, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they walked, they were healed. One of them, when he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise, get up. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word. You can be seated. And this whole text starts with, with this clause. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And if you remember, a few chapters before, there's that text where it says, and Jesus set his face like flint on Jerusalem. It's game time for Jesus. It's game on. He's about ready to achieve the very reason he came to the world, which is to suffer, to be rejected, to die, to suffer hell. And so really, it's, it, it's, it's in light of, of this suffering, but not just Jesus' suffering. Uh, look at the text. It's, it's, it's in our text. In fact, you could say, the Gospels have a lot to do with suffering. You could say the whole Bible is a book about suffering. We can look at our world today and say our world is a lot about suffering. Our neighborhoods, our cities, our lives, our own lives. Suffering is a major theme. I read something recently by a chief rabbi of, of, of England named Jonathan Sachs, and he says, he says, here's one of the major differences between Christianity and Judaism. He said it's in the area on, on the pers- one's perspective on suffering. He says, Christians believe that God comes to us to rescue us from our suffering, while Jews believe that God comes to us just to suffer with us. So here's a question. Does God suffer for us? Or does God suffer with us? 
Right now in our world, uh, there's estimation in India over 160 million uh, people who were born with a disease or who contracted a disease or some deformity throughout their life that are regarded as subhuman. The, uh, the slang for these people group is they're un the, the untouchables. Have you ever heard this term? They're viewed by their society as pollution. This isn't an isolated incident. You've seen this. Uh, if you've been paying attention in Japan, in Yemen, in Europe, in America, we've got our own caste system here. People that we as a society generally would, would wish were just not here. We have people that we would uh, deem untouchable, unlovable, ugly. I say that, know that nobody's really shocked by that. This is something that's been happening if you're paying attention to history in every culture, to the history of the world. Sometimes it happens because uh, people elevate beauty and the, the stimulating uh, image of a person. Sometimes it happens because of uh, the, the elevation of intellect and who's the smartest and who's the dumbest. Sometimes it happens uh, because of race, which race is dominant. Sometimes it happens because of religion. The time of Jesus was not exempt to this. It was just as tense. Look at verse 11. As, his, as Jesus went to Jerusalem, they were, he was just past Galilee, and he was before Samaria. He's in between these two areas. Was that just that detail there put just as um, random, or was it there on purpose? Well, let me tell you, it's there on purpose. There's a tension between these two people groups, one, the Galileans in the north, in, in, in between them and Jerusalem, the Samaritan. For 550 years, a bitter tension has been developing between these two people groups. At one time, you could call them cousins. They shared the same blood. But at the Babylonian exile, the Samaritans started marrying pagans. So you have, on the one hand, a people group that were once related, who have the blood running through their veins uh, of the ancient Israelite. And then on the other hand, you have a people group in the north, the, the most religious Lee uh, kept scholars of the Jewish faith who know how important it is to God to have pure blood running through our veins and regard them at best half-breeds, at worst subhuman. Doesn't make for uh, uh, much, many Christmas cards going uh, back and forth between these two people. And verse 12 introduces us to 10 people who are cast out by them both. Pay attention when two people groups that can't agree on anything agree on something like this. This is a lonely place. It introduces us to these 10 people who have a disease, and it says they stood at a distance and cried out with a loud voice. Why were they at a distance? Well, imagine we're traveling to Jerusalem together. We've got the breeze coming in from the Mediterranean on the west. Sometimes it dies down enough to hear nature and sounds far off. And all of a sudden, we hear the bitter wailing, the pitiful cry, the howl of the untouchable, who have one noble act left 
to proclaim their existence to you before you get close enough to catch their disease. Unclean! Don't come any closer! You don't want what I got! I'm dangerous! They'd been banished. Considered as hazardous waste. Do you guys know any lepers? Know anybody that's been cast out by their community? Anybody that's been banished or disowned by the family? Do you know anyone who's this society has considered dangerous and harmful to our existence and would just rather not see anymore? That we would just rather disappear? What grieves me most is when people do this in the name of God. And it's not hard to do. Right? We read the, the, the first part of the story. God is a holy God. He cannot have uh, lepers near Him. So He makes rules about them being far away. Don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to the holiness of God. I'm a little more cautious about the person who has to draw the line. Where, where do you draw it? Theologically different than you? Leper. Sinner. Leper, ugly leper, draw the line and keep them as far away from us as possible. All the while communicating that our God would much rather be as far away from the leper as possible. Is this our God? Would he just rather have the leper outside and be as far away from them as possible? How close does God want to be to the leper? And be careful how you answer that question. Because does your actions confirm or deny your answer? If you have your Bibles, look at verse 14. I want your eyes to see this. When Jesus saw them, (laughs) these untouchables, these unlovables, these uglies, these, really, if you watch the show The Walking Dead, (laughs) they're like these zombies. In fact, the rabbis of Jesus' day were already calling lepers the walking dead. In fact, when you read the Gospels, I don't know if you noticed this, but lepers are showing up all the time, and Jesus is encountering lepers all the time. In fact, the first time Jesus encounters a leper is in Mark 1, and this is what it says. It says, when Jesus saw the leper, he was moved to compassion. And that word in the original language for for compassion just simply means guts. In other words, his guts were being ripped out of him as he saw the leper. And you read this over and over again in the Gospels. Whenever Jesus is encountering uh, suffering and seeing it, it has this same word. His guts, he feels it all the way there. It's this gut-wrenching compassion that he's experiencing when he sees lepers suffering. 
Jesus loves to use this word even in the parables. Uh, in the parable of the prodigal, he says, when the father saw his son off in the distance, the father was filled with compassion. His guts were being ripped out. Or the parable of the good Samaritan, when the Samaritan saw the man beaten and left for dead in a ditch, it says, and he was filled with compassion. Looking at this man almost dead and all beaten up, his guts were being ripped out. And that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus came to show us the heart of God. Now, as Dan already implied, the, the, the number one instruction for a leper was distance. They had to be distant from the rest of humanity. Which is why in our text, they, they shout to Jesus from afar. They, 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 they see Jesus way, way out there, and, and they shout, Jesus, have mercy on us. And what does Jesus do? Does he go over towards them? Now this time he shouts back. Go show yourself to a priest. Now why would Jesus say that? It's a rule. It's Leviticus 13 and 14. It's God's word. It's God's instruction. Because it wasn't... Now listen, this is very important for us to know. You didn't go show yourself to a priest as a leper to get healed. Only God could heal a person of leprosy or a great prophet. But once healed, you would go to the priest and... Leviticus 13 and 14, lay all these things out. The first day and the seventh day, you're to wash seven times. And then on that seventh day, if you show yourself to have no more leprosy, on the eighth day, why eighth day? Well, it's the symbol for new creation. The first day of a new week. The first day of a new life. The first day of being clean. The priest would say, you are now clean. So I want you to hear what Jesus is saying to these guys. When he says, hey guys, go show yourself to a priest. He's not saying go to them to get healed. He's saying to them, you are healed. And I'm God. But if you're one of those ten guys, you, you look at your hands and you still see that there's, there's no fingers. There's just nubs. You still don't have eyelashes. You look at your skin and there's scabs and there's, there's pus, pus coming out. And, and I know where they are. They're, they're, they're between Galilee and Samaria. They're, they're, they're 50 miles from Jerusalem, from the temple where Jesus is asking them to go. And the text says, as they walked, they were healed. And I don't know if it was after walking a hundred yards where all of a sudden their teeth start coming back, their fingers start coming back, their nose comes back, their lips, the scabs are removed, or, or if it got to the 49th mile. But they had to trust Jesus. They had to take Jesus at his word. So don't throw any one of these ten guys under the bus. It took enormous faith for them to trust Jesus and to start walking 
And imagine the moment when it started to happen. The, the, the experience of being made whole, of being clean. Now listen, I, I, we, we, we read, read these kind of stories all the time in the Gospels, and for me, they, they, they force me to almost kind of think, okay, Jesus, if you're this loving and you're this powerful, why don't you just take your magic wand out right now and do the, just go poof to all suffering. Poof! All unclean be clean. Why doesn't God do that? If Jesus is God, why doesn't Jesus do that? Because it's more complicated. Especially when you consider that, that, that our greatest problem is, is not physical, but our greatest problem is, is spiritual. That underlying all physical death and decay is this thing the Bible calls, calls sin. And sin is, is this spiritual reality that infects the whole world. In fact, biblical scholars going all the way back to the time of Jesus have pointed out uh, this analogy between the physical condition of leprosy and the spiritual condition of sin. In other words, they said leprosy is a profound picture of, of, of sin. Because if you think about it, sin isolates us. Sin separates us. It separates us not only from God, but it isolates and separates us from people. Sin makes us ugly. Spiritually ugly. And then as hard as we try to hide it or to remove it, we, we, we understand that in and of ourselves we can't. It's, it's kind of like Lady Macbeth. We're, we're compulsively just trying to wash it out, out damn spot, but to no avail. In and of ourselves, we're all unclean, we're all ugly. One of the names that the rabbis of Jesus' day had for the coming Messiah was the leper Messiah. It was this, this belief already uh, during the time of Jesus that, that the Messiah would be a leper. In fact, the, the rabbis got this as they struggled with texts like Isaiah 53 where it says, and, and, and this was their translation, and we have these translations in the Dead Sea Scrolls which go back to the time of Jesus. And this is one of the translations of Isaiah 53. Surely he, Messiah, he will bear our griefs, he will carry our sorrows, yet we considered him a leper, smitten of God and afflicted. Because those two words, smitten of God and afflicted, were the two clauses that they applied to lepers. And so they thought of Jesus or the Messiah, to be a leper. In fact, in some ways this is right because this is how Jesus heals the lepers. This is how Jesus heals our leprosy. This is how Jesus heals the leprosy of the world. He bore it. He became a leper. As Paul said, he who knew no sin, he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Or another way of putting it, Jesus who is perfectly clean took all unclean upon himself to make us Jesus-like clean. 
Or another way to put it yet is God, God in Jesus took on all of our ugly. In fact, in Isaiah 52, just a few verses before Isaiah 53, it says this about Messiah. He will become so ugly that people have to hide their faces. Because the gospel is really beauty and the beast. Beauty became the beast to make the beast. The beast in all of us, beautiful. Does God suffer with us? He's a leper Messiah. Does God suffer for us? He became a leper in our place so that we could become his clean. That's a lot today. If the penny drops to our hearts to be grateful for. Sorry. I did a little bit. <laughs> Verse 16 is really the pinnacle of the, the turn of the story. I'm challenged by... Uh, two or three of the physical attributes that are laid out of this person, who, the one man who returned. The first thing I see is, is that he was praising God with a loud voice. The second thing that I see is, is he was small, got down on the ground at Jesus' feet. And lastly, he was a Samaritan. Try and apply this all kind of at the same time. <laughs> he praised God with a loud voice. Kind of begs the question, where were the other nine? Were they supposed to be going to God anyways? Surely they were going to the temple to see God. How has this one come back to praise God? Why did Jesus say in verse 17, have not, why did only one return to thank God? They're probably off somewhere thanking God. This guy saw something that they all didn't see in Jesus. He recognized something that's easy to miss. That Jesus' massive work in this, in this miracle. It's easy for us to miss. The hand of God in our life. The healing of Jesus in our life. It's easy for us to just chalk it up to coincidence. Or chalk it up to something that uh, was bound to happen eventually. Or because we're so focused on going to the priest. So focused on an expectation or something we're supposed to do. Maybe we forget and miss Jesus working in our life. Forget to turn and to come back and thank him. Maybe some of you need to open up your lips today and, and praise God with a loud voice. Maybe you're tired of, of, of missing the opportunity to do that. Maybe the people around you have never heard you say uh, what has happened to you. He was loud. He was small. He got down on the ground at Jesus' feet. If, uh, if any of us ever let pride get in the way of actually experiencing this moment right here, what is this guy feeling right now at the feet of Jesus? What I, what I see happening here is a breathtaking sign of grace, a breathtaking uh, phenomenon that I call a second chance. You imagine how many times this man wished 
If only I could go back, I would have fixed that relationship. If only I could go back, I would have said something different to my father. If only I could kiss my wife one more time. If only I could see my children one last time. He was given a second chance. And we can only experience the breathtaking, staggering moment of a second chance if we realize how far something has been taken from us or how far removed we are from, this, uh, from going back. If you have been letting your pride get in the way of you acknowledging the reality of your spots, of your ugly, and you've never experienced the breathtaking grace of getting a second chance, then maybe you need to open up today and, and, and say the things that they said, Jesus, have mercy on me. Maybe you need to get small. He was loud, he was small. Look at the end of verse uh, 16, there's a dramatic dash. In the end, I, they put a dash there, rightfully so. A pause, and it says, and he was a Samaritan. Lest we miss the point of the story, How close does Jesus want to get to the leper? Where are the other nine right now? Well, I imagine they took their bandages off and looked at each other and looked at this man and they said, that's one thing that you just can't be healed from. I know we were brothers 10 minutes ago, but now you're a Samaritan. Have a nice life. Jesus is not satisfied with our racism, with the lines that we draw, of people who are in and out. Jesus coming near to this man who has faith, who's on, who's on the out, this untouchable drawing near to him, speaks volumes to us about how close God wants to be to the leper. Yes, God set up in the law a dramatic telling of how serious sin is. And how seriously separated we are from God. It's not the whole story. The incarnation of Jesus speaks to us and reveals to us the turbulent and passionate resolve that God has to redeem and to restore and to come near to the sinner and bring it back. How close does God want to be to the sinner, to the Samaritan? This close. So are there any Samaritans in the room who've been labeled as untouchable, who have been judged, who have been damned? Are there any sinners in the room that that have been spoken to, some words that have separated you from your family and your community? I don't know what you've been told. But the cross of Jesus speaks a better word to you. And he says, even you, even the Samaritan, even you, I have forgiveness. I have reconciliation and restoration for even you. The cross of Jesus tells us that he would do anything for us to come, not to come home. But we can still let things get in the way of that. So what's stopping you? Amen.